Hey, and welcome to Pedal Sniffers. This is episode six. We're calling Pedal Boarding. I'm David. <laughs> I'm Tony. We are your host. And we're the pet. Or the what? <laughs> no, we save the sniffles for the end. But we are the pedal sniffers. Snifflers. Snifflers. <laughs> That's when a sniffer cool. is sick. Um, we've been talking to you about uh, making optimum choices for your pedal board in its arrangement and uh, getting you set up with uh, boards, power supplies, uh, switchers, controllers, uh, and all a lot of the information that you would need to put that together. What happens though, once you've got your board together um, and like most things, you are on a quest of continuous improvement. So pedal boarding, maybe not, maybe not an improvement. Maybe I, I think some cases might be changed. Well, or just but ch- change is improvement or improvement. Improvement is change. Okay. My my intention was to convey the uh, principle of Kaizen, which I learned from the Toyota Motor Company, uh, which is the art of continual improvement. Uh, changes which to I procedures would, or whatever yeah. you're doing over time so that you're always making it better. Yeah, for sure. Now, I don't know what form making it better is going to take in what we're talking about, so we will hit those it points. It be bigger, smaller. Yeah, less, more. Yeah. More expensive, Louder. cheaper. <laughs> Louder is always better, Tony. <laughs> well, I suppose we could argue that in some fashion, but I'll give that's but not I'll, really I'll true. give you louder because the argument over knobs going to eleven is simply that they go to eleven. To eleven. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in this episode, we're going to try and give you uh, some things to look out for in the choices you're going to make as you continually change your pedal board because it's never done, it's never finished. And you'll see why as we hit our topics. So yeah, I'm even at this very moment. I have plans in store for my pedal board, and it's changed not drastically since we've last talked. But actually, I don't think it's changed at all. But it's, it's changed a little bit. Good to hear. And I'm sure at least one of the things we're talking about today will be uh, affected by that. Uh, for sure. All right. Um, so the first thing we're going to try to address is. Uh, dirt on your board, which is a uh, key principle, is likely a significant contributor to your specific sound. I argue it's the hardest thing to get right. Uh, everything else is is relatively simpler in comparison because the delay is going to most delay sound relatively good, and most re- oh, well reverbs is a little harder for me. I'm less picky with delay, but like everything else, but drive seems to be pretty straightforward. <laughs> Because drives are so much more, they're not like linear, they have so much more harmonic content and different things they do. I would say the variations in them and between them are precisely why we're going to be talking about things like guitar pickup and pedal interaction and the pedal's interaction with the amp because that chain right there is exactly what you're talking about. Uh, other effects don't have that uh, asset or, and or burden that uh, dirt does. Mm-hmm. So it's highly dependent upon your amp and it's highly dependent upon your guitar or not because we do have some drives and distortions that crush whatever they are, whatever's coming in to sound like always the same thing. Like a data corruptor. Well, this isn't technically an overdrive, but let's be real. It's a square wave fuzz thing. It's a With, crusher. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it, it's, it's cool. Or the Big Commander. I don't know why I'm even... Uh, Airquaker is a great example for a lot of those weird... Uh, uh, synthy, fuzzy, bit crushing things that are oh so amazing. So now the principal topic for us when we're talking about drives, at least in this context, is how you're going to stack drives or use dual drives uh, or use things that aren't quite drives, like we just talked about, like the data corruptor as a drive. How do you... Um, optimize or even you haven't even gotten to optimization yet because you're still hunting down a particular dirt tone that you're after. So what things are you looking for in the most stackable or useful multi-drive setup? Well, obviously, I think before we go too far, obviously the amp matters, but we're going to take that on later. Correct. I think that's the first thing to take in consideration is what plays with your amp the best. Again, we'll talk about that later. 
once we have figured that out, it's just it's trying things and um, messing around with order, um, figuring out what you need um, for your situation because obviously drives seem to be not a divisive thing but a very personal um, choice. A lot of people have the same drives. A lot of people have significantly different drives. It, it, it's and often it might be more of a feel thing in the way it responds to your rig, like how hard you pick it does this as to the other pedal. So it's you can't really I can't really tell you what to do. It's it's really you need to try things for yourself. Know what listen to people play, listen to demos, but like most of all, get it in your hands so you know and put it through your rig so you know what it sounds like and if you like it or not. And then once you get a bunch of drives together, it's working with those and different combinations and figure out if they work well together, especially if you're going to stack drives, which is more necessary as far as if they work well together, is do they stack well. Okay. I'm going to um, just just yesterday, in fact, um, a perfectly appropriate anecdote, um, if I was going to make a recommendation for what two kinds of drives to get, I wouldn't tell you two specific drives to get, but two kinds of drives to get. Because the experience we had yesterday with a uh, customer hunting down this particular sound was we were looking for... Strat guy? Yes. We were, he was a good player. Yeah, yeah. We were looking for both a articulate overdrive um, as well as a heavy distortion. And it's unlikely that you're going to get both of those things from one pedal. Um, and there are good, ex- extremely good examples of each available in multitudes. Um, you know, uh, articulate overdrives are anything from, say, a Klon type to a Tube Screamer type, where heavy distortion is a whole other land that goes, say, all the way up to fuzz. And they, the combination thereof of those two types gives you the most um, flexible way to stack them uh, and combinations of tones available. Yeah, so it's either a question of what two separate drives to get or if there's, in fact, a dual drive on the market to satisfy that. And most of the time, the dual drives will be cheaper. Yes. The, The issue you do run into is if you have other drives on your board, if you don't have just two... Um, you run into the problem, unless on that dual drive you can switch the order, and even still so, you can't put like a pedal in between, in between. those. In most cases, there are exceptions. Um, so you can run into some problems if you want to order a pedal a certain way. That's why I tend to, I tend to veer toward two separate drives rather than dual drives. And then another thing to mention, the dual drives are almost always cheaper than two separate ones. So if you're looking for the ultimate in order and stacking flexibility, you're going to want to stick with singular drives. And yeah, if I'll, you're I'll, trying to maximize the most space available on your board, you could sacrifice some flexibility for a dual or multi-drive. Yeah, and a great example of the two together in the dual drives is I know the King of Tone, you can order with separate uh, ins and outs for each side of the King of Tone. Yeah. And there's a few other pedals like that that can do that. Uh, Wampler Dual Fusion, I think, had uh, yeah, separate outputs. Yeah, I, I think I feel like a, the, one of the Petty Johns does. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I can't remember for sure. Yeah, but that would be that would be the best of both worlds in a way. You got it. All right. Now we've mentioned pickup and pedal interaction before when we were talking about fuzzes and how they can be uh, noise generators. Um. When you're talking about drive stacking, what do you need to pay attention to pickup-wise, or do you? To be honest, this isn't something I necessarily think about because mo- I'm into low-output pickups for the most part. Like, I play anything from a Gretsch to a Tele, and my hottest guitar is probably the Telecaster, and that's 7 to 8K. I'm on the bridge pickup, and my Gretsch is like 3-something. Um that being said, they're all about the same output to my ears. Now, where you can run into issues is when you're using some higher gain, or sorry, some higher output pickups such as EMGs or just a higher gain passive pedal. Um, at that point, there, are, I know Brian Wampler talks about this a lot. He designed some of his pedals like to be able to adjust for that so that you're not hitting the front end of the pedal too hard and compressing it too much, essentially. So that's the issue you can run 
an issue you can run into. Okay, so, so it just it sounds like you could you could lose a lot of articulation if you're hitting some pedals too hard uh, yeah, based on so, the output of your guitar. Yeah, you, they they can get a little squishy or they won't respond correctly. In other words, or they won't respond most, amp like. <laughs> yeah, or the, they'll compress too much essentially, and they get. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it, but probably a little bit unarticulate, as you said, and a little bit mushy or muddy, as someone would say. Yeah. Which I am not a fan of. No, I don't know many that people are. They like that term mushy. That wouldn't be a adjective I'd enjoy. <laughs> Your sound is I mean, so I, mushy, man. It's awesome. I don't. I don't like my food mushy. I don't <laughs> like my tone mushy. I don't know when mushy's ever good. I would agree. Um. Now, in a completely different context of stacking, and for completely different reasons, um, you can stack delays. Or you can stack anything, really. I mean, shoot, you can stack reverb. Well, you are stacking everything. (laughs) I suppose you are. Uh, But delays in particular, um, what uh, advantages have you found or what what combinations do you like uh, when we're talking about multiple delays while you're playing? So I've experimented a lot with this, considering I have four delays on my board, and I'm actually think I'm about to put a fifth on it. Four four delays right now, and then four delays right now. How many do you? How many might you use at at once? Uh, it's generally two okay. at the very most, and the other and the, it's for flavors, really. Oh, sorry, did I see four delays? Yes, I meant I meant I had three. <laughs> I meant three. My bad. Oh, another one to be four. Yes, I'm a bad. I was confusing the big sky as another delay. Gotcha. That's not true. I have three. So give me, give me the basic categorization of your four delays, the four flavors that you have. So the L cap is tape delay, and it's my favorite tape delay. So when I want that, that's that's the pedal. So I when use. you want tape delay, um, there's only one tape delay for David. Um, there are a few exceptions. <laughs> I do use the tape on the timeline occasionally. But for the most part, and it's also my, both my dig and my uh, LCAP are what I call my free delays. If I need something on the fly or if I'm just jamming at home, I just use those two. Gotcha. Um, but if I need tape delay or anything in that realm or slap back, like the LCAP actually overall when I'm just playing at home is my go-to delay. Okay. Well, maybe also because you mentioned it as a free thing, so it's best for improv and working ideas out and noodling. Yeah, it's super easy to tap in. I can do that with any of my delays, but um, the dig and the L cap are just more so targeted at that. Now, the dig, um, I do use a lot for the dual delay thing. It's kind of what dual it's kind of what it is, delay. yeah. Kind of what it is, like the edge thing, of the '80s dual thing, and when in that case, it's actually a great example. So technically, in a way, I do have four delays because it dig is a dual delay. Technicality, um, but uh, we'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> I had three. Anyway, um, so that's a great example of like combining two delays. You you might want to combine two different subdivisions. One of my favorites is actually a lot of people love the dotted eighth and a quarter. I like a dotted eighth and an eighth note. So that's something I use a lot. Um, and my dig is actually mostly used for swell stuff and ambient stuff. So it's like a pretty high repeat, a lot of mix. Um, now, when you do that, like the, when you do that duel with the uh, dotted eight and eight or, or quarter, would you, you would do that all in the dig or would you use two delays for that? I, I, I've never used two delays to do that before. Okay. Well, I mean, the dig makes it easy to not because that's what it is. I get it. But I was just yeah. you know, curious if you had other options or that you've tried. And the other reason I got the dig was because I'm, the timeline, as much as I love it, it, one of its biggest failings is the dual delay parameters. It, they are incredibly hard to dial in. Hmm. You have to do math um, <laughs> because it, cause it's not like it's just... They don't just give you the separate subdivisions for each delay. It's like I, I don't actually remember how it actually even shows up. It's 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 uh, it's not bizarre, but it's not what at all what you think. All right, so the dig made that easier by putting some of, by relating the delays to each other. Yeah, it's it just a specialized version of that. That sounds better overall. Gotcha. Okay. That being said, for an upcoming youth 
youth conference I'm playing, I am actually using the timeline for a dual delay <laughs> just because uh, I need to have it locked in the tempo. Not that the dig can't do that, but the dig is already assigned to do other things. Gotcha. It's, it's your free it's, delay and that, your timeline is your, your yeah. clocked delay. Yeah, so basically here's a summary of my of how I regularly use them live. So the LCAP is when I want tape delay, I will go to that. The dig is almost always for swells and ambient stuff, and the timeline covers everything else. So that's all my, that's pretty much the vast majority of the main delays I use. And now, now you have the one you're considering is a completely different animal that you're considering, that you've already purchased, but you're considering adding to your board is the, so I bought an 80s uh, Boss DM2. Uh, is this your, this is your like first? 3005 uh, chip. So it's the good one. This is like your first uh, quote unquote vintage pedal? Yeah, this is my first vintage Pedal. I guess it's legit um, vintage, really. I know cold, it is legit needed. vintage. It's like the desirable one I got for a really solid deal and probably could sell it for more than what I bought all it for, right. which is exciting. Now, why is, it go- but that's not why is it going on your board when you got all those other delays? So I don't have an analog delay on my board at all. Um, and I love slapback, but I also love the self-oscillation the, uh, uh, that, the, okay. that guy can do. I got you. Uh, so that's a reason to want a delay like that when it gets all into nuts land and you start playing with that like an instrument. <laughs> yeah, um, I like making weird noises. I'm a guitar player who loves pedals, so of course I like making weird noises. And the DM2W, DM2W, I'm sorry, DM2 does that really great. Um, so what am I, I'm thinking about subbing it out for the Luminary just because I don't use it very much. Okay, so you're kicking off a lesser use pedal for a fourth delay. <laughs> yes, um, that that uh, that area on my pedal board, that luminary spot, loop six of my ESA, tends to be what I interchange a lot uh, when I'm you. trying new things. Sort of an, um, an audition location. Yep. So, um, real quick tangent: some me and Tony knows, but my loop six of my ESA like started to go wonky, and I lost like probably. 45% of the volume um, when I would engage it. And I isolated it down to just plugging a patch cable in between the in and out of loop six and still having the same issue. But this past week, it seems like it fixed itself. So that's weird. I hope it's fine. Yay? Um, Question we, mark? We, we shall see. Yay? So that's another hesitant. That's why I'm also kind of hesitant to put the DM2 on. Because uh, loop loop six know. is an unknown quantity at this point. Yeah, right now. So the question is, should I still send the ES8 in, even though I think it's fixed? If it, if it, if it breaks itself again, I will yeah. send it in. Oh, that seems reasonable. So maybe humidity. <laughs> um, um, I don't see why that, that could pot. It's Florida. It's the first thing I think of. <laughs> Yeah. Um, also, just power in general could be weird, so I don't know. All right. Um, only in my mind, or, well, let me just state it out, right? Ha- uh, have you used the inserts on any of your delays uh, to manipulate your signal chain? You know, put some drive or something on repeats or not by using uh, a loop available to you on one of your delay pedals? I know the timeline can do it. I think maybe the deco can with a tier, with an insert cable or something. But do you mean the dig or just mean the deco? Uh, I don't own a deco. Either, uh, yeah, I meant I meant your uh, LCAP. Okay, I'm sorry, but either. Any. I'm I'm not, I'm not sure if the dig or LCAP can do it. To be honest with you, one of them know, one of them switchable, but I know your timeline does. So do you ever use the timeline? It? Definitely does. I've never tried to do that actually. Okay. Um, um it just because I and the reason is I have my board wired in stereo and I can't do both. Okay, I like, I, I I like the option of having. I like the option of being able to do things to the repeats that you're not doing to the dry signal, and it opens up lots mm-hmm. of capabilities. But it is kind of a kind of a subtle effect. Ooh, I just I want to put the underneath in the uh, timeline loop. That would be cool. So okay, so you're gonna kind of uh, reverb your delays so that they sound even further away that could be cool well it'd just be it'd be something i do in the studio mm-hmm. i think um yeah it would it would have to be <laughs> because <laughs> I, I think the underneath is the underneath is one of those effects that you would almost combine with something just because it's it can be kind of subtle but in all honesty it's not and for those of you who don't know what the 
at the app underneath this or, or Quaker devices makes this reverb pedal that's super super weird and ambient kind of uh you could say doesn't it and it, it it's it's like a, I would I describe it as what I like to call a movie soundtrack pedal. Okay. Okay. I played it with it once. <laughs> it's a cool pedal. I got a good deal on it. All right, so you would happily stack reverb with your delay. Um, I would I would stack any modulation pedal. Now, is there any is there any scenario that you can imagine putting your drives or distortions after your delays? Mm, unless I was going for that specific sound, no. Um, actually, delay. I I do like the overdriven delay thing, even though people do not know what sounds gross is drive after reverb. But um, I set my amps to where actually, in general, my, my delays tend to be a tiny bit gritty, which I like that sound a lot. Okay. And also on the timeline has a grit knob, which kind of does that on its own. So in mo I'm going to say 99.9% .9 of the time, I would never myself nor recommend putting your drives after your delay, unless you wanted that sound. Gotcha. Which most people don't do. No, and I mean, that's kind of why I phrased the question that I did, because the, the usual, as you've stated, is the usual for a reason. Um, but there would be occasions where there's a particular sound you're after. Um, I can't, you know, <laughs> can I think of one right now? Not necessarily. I, 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 I feel, I want to name the band, but I know they're, um, from watching the pedal show, there is a band who has their main member. I think it's either he has his delays before the drives or he uses driven amps with delays in front of it. And that's what he likes. So there's obviously exception, exceptions to the rule all the time. And he sounds awesome. Always. There always is. <laughs> <laughs> um, which leads us to pedal order in general which has certain guidelines or, or certain rules of thumb, um, but that can all be broken just simply because you want to. Uh, yep. I actually, now the you say I do this a lot more often just because it's so easy to uh, change around loop. My, my pedal order with configurable loop order. <laughs> this is true. So what are some weird, um, or what, what are some uh, surprising orders that you've stumbled upon given your experimentability? Actually, it's not even something I've tried, but recently I, uh, I've been listening to, uh, just today, I was listening to some, I'm on the YouTubes, you know, as you are, <laughs> watching guitar videos, and it was just the difference between a phaser in front and after drive, and in front, it sounded like you're at even, wait, no, in front, it sounded like almost like your Jim, a Jimi Hendrix Univibe thing, but afterwards, is obviously your kind of your, uh, your normal Eddie Van Halen like eruption or kind of kind of dealio. Mm -hmm. um, forgive me if I have that reversed because I am not a big phaser guy and I could be totally wrong on that. But I know that is the difference between them. Whether or not it's before or after, don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay. I should know this, but those are the differences. Um, obviously, we talked about delay um, before and after reverb as well. Or sorry, delay before and after reverb. Drive um, before and after a delay or reverb. I don't mind it in some cases, as I've stated, after um, your delay. But I think it's disgusting <laughs> when you put your drive after your reverb. It just sounds like a... It's awful. A wet dog? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, no, it's like a wet dog screaming. I don't know. Um, now, something that does respond kind of interesting to being moved around in your signal chain would be a tremolo. Yes. Yeah, so this is actually one of the main reasons my tremolo is where it is, is because it's in stereo. Um, but in most cases, I prefer my trem after my delay, before my reverb, and maybe even after everything. Um, now, if you take the bare minimalist of minimal minimalist approach of uh, where you put a volume-based effect, it would be right after drive because that's where your volume pedal goes. 80% um, of the time, that's what people prefer. Um, that being said, tremolo is different because it's a time-based effect too. Mm -hmm. So what can happen is if your trem is in front 
of your delays, that can affect the way your delay is delaying and change the tempo of your delay. Because especially if the tempo of your trem is different than the delay. So it's going to be delaying the transients of the trem rather than the transients of your, your pick attack or what you're playing. Hmm. So it gets, ends up getting messy and not very good sounding in my opinion. So I ended up putting it after delays, the delays, and it completely fixes that issue. Okay. Um, something to think about is uh, pedals that need to track, like pitch uh, shifters, harmonizers, and octavers, where if they don't get a good signal, uh, they don't track well. So they're going to want to be. Latency. They're going to want to be yeah. early in your chain, uh, so that they get you know, let's call it the cleanest um, signal. Um, yeah. By the same token, I was going to add compressors, which at the beginning of your chain could make a super different impact than they would at the end. Yeah. Yes. Um, some people uh, regarding compressors actually like their compression after drive, which I think is weird. Um, it doesn't work in my scenario because I, I, as I've stated before, I do gain stacking and I stage my gains to where it gets slightly louder each time I turn on. So I don't have a clean boost per se, which I'm actually looking into funny enough <laughs> um, to get louder. I just stage my gains as I turn on one, I get slightly louder. Just because in general, when I'm adding gain, I want to be louder. It just seems to be, in most musical scenarios, the more gain you have, the more intense the music is. <laughs> and in the process, you're essentially compressing with each gain of stage of gain. Yeah, so that works with the gain. And when you put a compressor after everything, you no longer, unless it's a very slight compression, you're no longer going to have that effect. I tend to use compression, obviously, as what a compressor is meant for. Um, uh, guitar players live in this weird world where compression has sustain, which is not really a thing anywhere else <laughs> for the most part. Um, and then I also use um, it as a preamp as well. Just to add a little bit of volume, a little bit more grunt to the uh, my signal just to hit my pedal slightly harder um, even though that could be a bad thing in some situations but for me it's what I'm looking for um, something else that varies a lot given its position I would say is a wah or any filtering of some kind you I want to know about that Tony you <laughs> that is one of my triggers. All right, fine I will as the bass player I will take the wah scenario you put I'm it sorry about offending you all it's quite all right. You put it. You put it before your dirt, and you are, you know, um, uh, tweaking the overdrive in a way that you're uh, you're pre EQing the dirt, um, and after you're almost simply applying an EQ to the distortion. That sounded really lame and boring, and just like the opposite. I can't but, remember what people prefer. I think it's before, right? It's most it's likely like, going to be before. But I typically it's fuzz wah or is it wah fuzz? I can't remember. Oh, I would. Well, this is what we're talking about. If you want to be able to manipulate the frequencies that fuzz, then you're going to want to put your wah first. Again, we talked about this before, but the pedal that is at the essentially with gain pedals or anything, um, the pedal that is after is going to be the one that has the most effect on the signal. The later the pedal, the more. The uh, more character will come. Got it. Will come. Out. Okay, that's yes. a good. That's a good uh, principle. I like that. And that's kind of how I end up with dry specifically. That's how I kind of figure out what I want. Um, also, um, back to stacking drives. Um, one thing you can do. Some people want, uh, say, my morning glory. Some people want the morning glory, but they want more drive. So instead of stacking a drive. In front, or sorry, after that, like another drive, you could put a clean boost in front of that overdrive and essentially boosting the front end, getting more gain of that same character of that pedal. So that's another option. All right. I think if you take away nothing else from this episode, um, you take David's principle of uh, last, last most important pedal concept and you think about that when you're... Th- about what pedals you need or what pedal to put them in or and how you want your sound to uh, to finish. Um, yeah. That's a huge and, concept. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty, it's universal, but for the most part, I think it comes into play um, with anything with gain. Yeah. 
I, and I think a lot of people overlook that and neglect the um, the clean boost, like you mentioned, with the morning glory in front of it to be more of that pedal um, or as a character changing into some other kind of pedal. Yeah, and there's no right or wrong outside of what you want to try to do. Now, there may be a right or wrong inside of what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But like for, say, if you want to get louder and you have a morning glory and a two screamer, and you want your tube screamer to make you louder, you don't put the tube screamer in front of the morning glory. You put it after. So now we, uh, I simply want to ask you what you think about this concept, if it even means anything to you. Um, Tell me more. And that is uh, amps that are intended or marketed as pedal platforms. What does that even mean? So I know... It makes sense to me, and I agree. I think there's great amps for pedal platforms, but as someone who actually likes amps with some character and to be different from each other, I don't necessarily want like a pedal. Hold on. So you're so you're amp. saying a pedal platform amp is neutral and lacks distinction by definition. Um, I think that's what people. I think that's the stipulation or what people think. Okay. They they assume that's what you're going to. That that pedal is going to be flat response or something like, or sorry, that amp is going to be pretty evenly cued and such. Mm-hmm. When in fact, I don't think it's always the best case. Um, there, are, there are many situations where I think what makes a bad pedal amp is the input impedance and how it responds to dry pedals and how early it breaks up. Obviously, headroom I think is a big issue. Um, there are some, and that's not even necessarily wattage. That's just down the end, the engineering of an amp. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to talk crap about Eggnator, but um, I think it's the Tweaker, or it's either the Tweaker or the Rebel. And it's a backline we play at actually the high school ministry at my church, and it's one of the worst pedal amplifiers I've ever played. It breaks up almost immediately. Um, now that sounds like clean. that sounds like something some but somebody would want. Yeah, but not you, and not, not your pedals. Not I don't think for anyone who and there's a there's a vast majority of people in my um, realm, not even outside of praise and worship, they get the vast amount of their gain or tone changing from their pedal board. So what you mainly want to look for is an amp that is going to be able to take the output of your pedal board without overdriving too much because even I set my amps to be almost slightly on the bridge edge of breakup in general. That's how I go for it. I set them clean, um, but not too clean, if that makes sense. Okay, so um, I'm shuffling like what makes an amp a pedal platform around as we're, See, as we're talking. And I, and yeah, I, I don't really know. Well, <laughs> okay, I mean, so, you know, we can, we can take charge of this. We can help define it. Um, is, a, is an amp with a great clean channel, like, say, a jazz chorus, is that a good pedal platform? Not necessarily. Because? Because we don't know how that responds to dry pedals, per se. Because I know for many situations, Fuzz does not like to see um, a fully clean signal. Some do. Some don't. Um, some like to see a crunchy or overdriven amplifier. So in that case, you don't want to put your fuzz face into a super bright, clean twin reverb. It's going to sound like garbage. Hmm. Now, you might want to put that into a crunchy or starting to overdrive Marshall Plexi. Um, So is one or the other necessarily a better pedal platform? I don't know, but maybe for someone else... The twin might be a great pedal platform. There might be some definitions, essentially, where a pedal platform amp isn't perhaps intended to add any character at all. It's just a pedal amp. It's just a full, I'm sorry, power amp. It's just like a full range power amp where all the character of your sound is coming from whatever you have on your board. Mm-hmm. But in, if it's a power amp, you're going to need some sort of preamp. Well, and I'm and I'm board. considering all the dirt on your board as your pre. I technically those would qualify as a preamp, but they're not really meant or built to do that unless specified. Um but actually the Benson preamp I have is as far as I know. Yeah. So but that see, it could work. Option. It could work that way. So w- w- is it could. is a pedal platform amp simply a clean power platform? 
absolutely not, especially in the case of tubes. <laughs> okay. So then, but so so tube amps are good pedal platforms. <laughs> um, not universally. <laughs> I don't even think we know what this means. I, I honestly think it's a big marketing term because I've seen, what haven't you seen be run with pedals? Mm. I don't know. It's just a quiet, again, I think, it, I think it can almost come down to a personal thing of what you're running and what works with your rig. Um, I'm also of the strong belief that your amplifier makes up the vast majority of your tone. Um, once you get past the tones and your finger things, I think it's all all a combination of everything. Like once you get the finger thing down, it's down to your amplifier. I think but now it could be, I mean, you could, uh, for the same reason we're talking about pedal platforms and clean power amps, you could want to put all of your tone um, creation into your board because your backline is constantly changing and never reliable, right? Um, oh, absolutely. You know, you might even go completely ampless because of scenarios that you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're. And we see people going Helix or Kemper mm-hmm. to where they can. They don't necessarily. They can if they have the luxury. If they're in a, able to afford it, they can have the person hire or buy the had the backline of a Kemper and rent that. Or in many cases, I think some of the uh, some of the main backlines are hot rod deluxes. So designing your rig and a hot rod deluxe is a kind of the pinnacle of an amp of the pedal platform, even though it does have character. It's not a straight up flat response. Okay. Uh, so I think I think it's gonna it's gonna have to mean different things to different people. Because if if we can simplify it to where if the majority of your tone comes from your board, you're gonna want a clean full range power amp. Um, but if you rely or want to rely on the interaction with your amp, then you need something else. Which is how I tend to go. All right, and that um, led you to your new purchase, or not? Well, no, the new purchase I had to do mostly with the perfect, like just the perfect scenario of me buy ever being able to buy that specific amp. Ah, uh, okay. So less about a shortcoming in your in your amp no, uh, rig. It, it was and more. No, not at all. Because I I own a eighteen hundred dollar amplifier. That's kind of my dream amp. That is. That's your for Benson Earnhardt for those. My Benson Earnhardt. Benson Earnhardt. Uh-huh. Um, and it's David um, loves his Benson. David very very much actually, likes his Benson. And my main thing for here. Okay, thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> and obviously, I think we got here anyway. But one of the things I look for in a Pell platform um, amplifier, if that's where you do a lot of your tone changing mm-hmm. or like your manipulation of your tone. I look for simplicity in the amplifier because for me, less is more because I don't want all the fuss or anything like that. I want like essentially, in the case of their heart, it's a tone and a volume. And then oh, I so, so you're not interested in channels? I'm not interested in channels. And for someone who is not going to be channel switching on the amp, I say don't even look into anything with that. I say look for something very simple. And most of the case, case in most of the um, cases you're going to see, um, those amps are going to tend to be vintage voiced or older style amps like your Fenders, um, your Voxes, your Marshalls, um, some Mesa boogies, which aren't old. Um, of course, Mesa goes from anything from super crazy to relatively simple. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to, if you're going to be a pedalboard guy and you have your amp and you set it and you don't touch it once you're happy with it, look for something that's simple because there's less that can go wrong. And you just need the sound really good. Okay. All right. That's my. I'm, that's what I personally look for in a Pell platform app. So on to the purchase. Okay. So I, um, I bought an AC30. Now, I am not a fan of new Vox stuff at all in general. Um, admittedly, I have not played a new, uh, uh, the CC. AC30. I'm not played a brand new AC30, but I, I do not enjoy the AC30s, and I don't enjoy the vast majority. Or sorry, sorry, I don't enjoy the AC15s. I, I don't think they're very good amps. I have heard them sound great, but for me, I I, I just can't. I, I own one for two years. I just they don't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my favorite amp in the lineup, I think, is actually really good. Fox's current line is. The AC10. I think they did an amazing job for on it. It has a surprising amount of headroom. Um, 
from what I can tell, I've never played it with pedals, but I have friends who have, and I, from playing it at a guitar center, I think it'd be a great low wattage, um, quieted pedal platform for some people. Now, what I bought was an AC30 um, from the 90s. It's an AC30 6TB circuit um, made in England, and these are one of the most revered um, AC30s. Um, it's very the very beginning of the Korg era oh, wow. uh, of okay. Vox. And they're kind of one of these sought-after amps that isn't too expensive, but um, at the high end, they cost like eighteen to two thousand. Oh, dude, this sounds exactly like an episode of Wheeler Dealers. You bought like the perfect uh, project um, example amp for that you know particular make and model. Yeah. Now here's the thing: I would have. I love. I'm a big box guy, tone wise. I like good. AC circuits. That's why I bought the Earhart. It's loosely based on a top boost circuit. Um, think of it instead of an AC15, because an AC15 and an AC30 are so, are very different sounding. Think of it as how you think the AC15 is going to sound, which is like a <laughs> smaller version of an AC30. Gotcha. That's how I kind of think of it. Um, overall, from now my experience from owning an AC30 and playing with it, the mon the Monarch, sorry, other Benson amp, the Earhart is slightly darker overall and a little bit a different main range. It, they're similar, but um, different. Um, and it makes me really happy about this. So your, anyway, so your new amp purchase actually makes you appreciate your current favorite amp even more. You know what? I don't even know if I call it my favorite amp. It is my favorite amp. But now I, I'm really happy about an AC30. <laughs> now... One of the main reasons I've always, I've never really been into buying an AC30 because, as you know, um, most of them come in combos and they weigh 80 pounds or two by 12. I have nowhere to put that. Nobody wants that anymore. Yeah, no one needs that. Now, in this case, um, the individual who I bought it from has stripped it and it's just the amp chassis. So, just the amplifier. So. Again, these amps go from anywhere. F it's inconsistent. The prices, um, like eleven hundred bucks to twelve hundred bucks. You're going to see them the '90s ones, um, with very abrupt X, torn up, kind of being up. They'll work, but not great. All the way up to eighteen hundred to two thousand. So the prices, the prices are really broad, mm -hmm. um, and they don't come off. They're they're around, but there's not a lot of them out there. So you don't have a lot of options. All right. So the the resale on your thing is going to be weird because it's not a uh, period correct. Yes. But, and I, but oh, I'm sorry. But but you but you have the opportunity to create a unique head with whatever kind of case you which want, which is perfect for my scenario. Got it. Because I I'm able eventually I will buy a cabinet for it. I'll probably I don't think I'm going to buy a two by twelve. I think I'm going to buy an oversized one by twelve, just because I don't need. Well, again. I think the AC30 cab on Sweetwater is 450 bucks, so maybe I'll just buy that. <laughs> but again, that's I have the Ox, and this is one of the main reasons I bought an Ox, so I could buy a head and be done, which is super awesome. Mm -hmm. So that being said, I'm selling my Fender 68 Reverb, the, uh, not afford this or finance it. I could afford both amps, but um, Tony knows this. I'm saving for a car. <laughs> um, you're, so being, you're being responsible and getting rid of some old gear to fund a new gear. Good job. Good job. Exactly. Um, and my reasoning behind this is because I'm never going to be able to find the perfect scenario of this AC30 again. That's why I bought it. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's opportunistic one, purchase. Yes. It was a perfect scenario. It's already... I was going to turn my 68 into a head and cab. Um, and this is a step ahead of that, too. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't even have to get rid of a cabinet. I don't have to... Um, do any of the miscellaneous, uh, boring and frustrating stuff. It's there, ready to be turned into a head. Awesome. So and you get to, that and you get to and you get to sell a full other amp instead of the parts of a combo that you strip. Absolutely. And also now that I work in this amazing scenario, I can afford to probably buy said amp eventually again the Fender 68 Reverb for about the same I bought it used. Um. Um. Through. Uh, Gear Hero or slash Pedal Genie. Sure. And then it's, I can always buy another 68 Custom Deluxe Reverb. But, but you'll never the get chance. the uh, stripped AC30 head for the deal that you got it ever yeah. again. Probably. So, yeah. So I got an AC30 and I guess you could say a compact uh, form. 
Gotcha. You know, which is, I, I just wanted to address your reason for the purchase for 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 the exact reason you stated. There are many things that I have bought. Um, and then sold the thing I had because the thing I bought doesn't come up every day, but the thing I sold, I can buy anytime. Exactly. Um, I, I'm not gonna, I'm, I, feel, I feel slightly sad about it because I love my 68 Custom Deluxe. It's one, it's one of my favorite ampl- amplifiers ever. It's kind of, a, it's extremely popular, by the way. It's on reverb right now for <laughs> hey, 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 So now. please go buy it. Um, I am willing to negotiate slightly. Um, it is the lowest priced custom deluxe on reverb so there's a it's hot it's a hot product i have right. over 600 i, I don't want to pl- i don't want to plug you know like your listing or anything but i will plug david and say that the person who buys your amp is getting exactly what it is and it was probably very well cared for because it was david so that's all i'm going to say on the matter thank you Tony. you're welcome <laughs> but yeah um, so i love the amp i'm gonna have to rebuy it eventually actually i almost would be tempted to buy the smaller princeton version of it just because I don't know if I'll have room for the uh, 6D anymore. <laughs> um, so we've tried to give you um, the th- questions to ask and to think about when you're hunting for a tone with your board or building up your board pedal by pedal for the things that are going to make uh, significant changes to your tone, depending on where they're placed. Um you might also think as you're building your board about um, uh, optimizing the physical placement thereof. You're trying to fit to a certain size. You want to get in a carry-on. You're trying to squeeze one more pedal on your board. Um, David, do you've got any um, strategies that help you squeeze more real estate out of your space you've got? Um, number one is using some form of pedal board planner. Um, I actually think we should link the one I use. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's not the Temple yeah, Audio we'll one. We'll find it. It's not the Creation we'll one. We'll find it. It's not the we'll find it and post it. But in general, all of them are pretty accurate. But um, you'll have to keep in mind, obviously, cable spacing in that. You can kind of estimate, but it gives you a great idea when planning your pedal board what you can fit, um, which is what I did for my current board. Even then, I will say changes will still happen and you'll have to move things around. I've been fortunate enough not to have to do any kick a pedal off, but I've had to drastically change arrangements to get things to fit. So plan ahead. Are you uh, for or against sideways pedals? I am for. Okay. Um, (laughs) I I think I know I'm, I guess I'm OCD about some things. Um, That's mainly cable management. If the board looks clean, Mm -hmm. but I don't care if it's upside down, sideways, um, it just has to be um, straight, I guess you could say. It can't be, like, crooked. Yeah, there's nothing really worse than a crooked board. Um, the sideways pedal is going to be extremely less of an issue when you have a loop switcher like you do where you're not directly engaging the pedal. Um, then yes. it can literally go anywhere in any orientation. Now, yeah. So now, as far as ergonomics goes, this can be divisive. Um, even without my loop switcher, I had pedals really close to each other, and I would often struggle with moving knobs because things were too close together. Okay, not just foot, not just a foot switch uh, so, interaction, but knob. Access. Even my last board was super compact. I think you remember that board. Mm-hmm. Super compact, close together, and I, it, things were so close. I would accidentally move knobs with my foot or turn on two pedals at once, even though I did not mean to <laughs> do so. Um, so it's just getting the ergonomics right. And obviously I got better with using the board as I practiced with it and got used to things. But obviously when you're playing at the gig or you're in the moment, you're not always pay, paying attention to that. That's part of the reason it went to the ES8 or a loop switcher. That's part of the uh, benefit of that. You can get away with getting pedals super close together. Gotcha. Um, now one way to... Um fit more pedals on your board is to take some pedals off your board. Um, <laughs> I wanted to, I, I mean, people don't think about this though in some cases because they've got this one board, this one pedal there because, uh, oh, I always love it, but I never use it. Or I use it for one song uh, or because for whatever reason, they it's the right color. I don't know. Um, but if you give some thought to that, there are ways you can take a pedal off the board. Um, I wanted to 
give the scenario where you can um, add add by adding an expression pedal to something, you could take some other pedal off your board. Um, or, uh, for instance, maybe you have several modulation pedals, but you never use more than one at once. You could get a pedal that has multiple amounts of those with presets. Yeah, there's plenty of chorus, flanger, tremolo, maybe not tremolo, phaser kind of combo. Yeah. Uh, pedals and yeah, that could use it. But adding something, you could take several things away. So don't discount. And to that. be honest with you, Tony, I've been thinking about this. This is why I mentioned <laughs> it because I've always said I like the option of being able to use several modulations at once, but I can't think of a time I have. So I've been recently considering maybe getting a Mobius or something in that realm. Okay. Uh, for those not paying attention to uh, uh, internet opinions, the Mobius is a great modulation pedal. Amazing, but you can't do more than effect, one effect at a time. No. But the question is, do you use more than one modulation at a time? Mm-hmm. I can't think if I have or not. I don't believe I have. Um, the uh, when We can easily lump chorus, phaser, flanger together. Um, but I think that tremolo stands out just a little bit, and there may be combinations of anything plus tremolo that you might want to do. And that's where my argument begins, because you can get a great kind of univibe or lexi or sound from like a chorus and a tremolo. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, even though I don't think I've never used that sound in actual <laughs> context, but if you do, you can accomplish that through a tremolo and a chorus of some sort. You know, I don't really have a tremolo. I think I might have to rectify that. I love tremolo, Tony, um, specifically for the noise-making, uh, square wave, stuttery things. Hmm. Those are my favorites. I think I'm going to have to get a tremolo. <laughs> um, mentioning, so you mentioned like kind of evaluating your board um, to figure out what you actually use. Mm-hmm. Um, what's funny is that I've had the biggest board I've ever had, and I regularly use pretty much everything. There was a significant amount of planning and thought, however, that went into your uh, into your board, and you yes. you picked the things that you did for very specific pedal sniffing like reasons. Yeah, and I have four overdrives. Actually, I guess we'll go into what I'm going through right now, as far as my planning, because I think it's relevant to the conversation. So as we stated, I think I might take the Luminary off because actually the Luminary kind of was intentionally the play-around spot. Um, Uh, Luminary is Walrus's octave pedal, for those not not aware. It's it's my least used pedal, um, probably next to my Tremolo. Um, I remember you saying how much you loved it. I do love my Luminary. (laughs) Um, I think it's a great pedal. It's not bad. It's not used. It's just my least used. Um, gotcha. But for most cases, I use every pedal in, in a set, and that's 16 pedals. Yeah. <laughs> that's impressive. I find a way. And that's, that's also, a, that's also um, not the antidote, but a result of the ES8s. It's easy to do that okay. as to having the pedal nets. And that's, a, that's one of the reasons I want to be able to do more. Um, that's true. I can't. It, I can't imagine managing the thought process of sixteen different pedals without them being in some kind of looper preset arrangement. <laughs> and as I've stated before, I don't have many more pedals than I did before on my my last board. It's two or three more. Um, so that is, I've mentioned the um, possibly maybe going to Mobius. I don't think it's going to happen, um, but that's a consideration. I don't. The benefit would be um, MIDI. Mm-hmm. That would be the primary benefit of that. And I mentioned to you today the Jackson Prism. So an- another new gear day. So I-, I purchased the Benson preamp, and I think it's amazing. Um, so that, that makes been- the fourth flavor of dirt on your board, if we're going to call it that? Well, yeah, I took something off to put it on. Okay. So... In order for me to put it on, I also had to lose the compressor I was using. Mm. Um, so I I took off the Bondi 2026, and I took off the Greer Amps Lightspeed, which always seemed to be, as I think it's a great overdrive, but it's it's not necessarily that clicked with me, but it's always been the first to go. I would say that. <laughs> okay. Um, 
and then interchange that with the Benson, which is a larger box around the size of a V1 JHS kill, and uh, Cali, uh, Origin Effects Cali 76 Combat Deluxe that I have from Pedal Genie, because we have a few in. Rent those, boys. And uh, you're going to want this one because it's purple. Uh, yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, so... The reason for the Cali, the only reason I could fit the Benson was because the Cali had top mount jacks and I could squeeze pedals a little bit tighter together. So that goes, that's a great example of pedal board Tetris and figuring out how you can fit things to go together. So without the Cali, the Benson doesn't fit. <laughs> so you had to swap two pedals to make the two new pedals fit. Yes. I got um, you. So I will be buying the Cali eventually. We're just—I'm waiting. I'm figuring out um, extended evaluation. <laughs> it's an extended valuation. Obviously, I have the luxury of being able to just use it for free. Um, it's sound. It's my favorite compressor for sure. I'm at, it's literally just complete vanity, and I'm waiting to figure out. We're trying. I want to do some custom color stuff, so I'm trying. I'm kind of waiting to see what's going to come out because I, I'm not. It's not super urgent. Um, so going on to the drive thing. So right now, to be honest with you, the main ever since the Benson made out onto my board, it's not super similar to the Superbolt. Even though I have I have told you, I think the Benson uh, preamp is like the Morning Glory and the Superbolt had a baby. So it obviously does have characteristics of the Superbolt. That being said, it's kind of taking the over the role of that. And recently, I have been. I've not been a super big fan of Clean Boost in the past, but I'm considering I need to take one home. I've been considering trying a Jackson Prism as my always on pedal and kind of not graduating, but changing the Morning Glory to be used more so as a traditional overdrive, not an always on. Okay. So that's so, gonna so something's taking over the boost spot and you're moving the one other up your gain chain. Yeah. So it's not even basically the I'm going to make my clean tone cleaner, if that makes sense. <laughs> kind of. And the reason for that is I've noticed, I've, I've kind of wanted it to be my cleanest tone to be slightly cleaner. But if I turn off my drive, there's too much, there's not enough volume. Mm-hmm. So having the headroom and the, um, the flexibility and the tone uh, changing or uh, tweaking capabilities of the prism seems like a very intriguing idea to me. So eventually, I'm going to get one on my board and see if this works out. If it does, what's going to happen is the Super Bowl is going to leave the board and the prism is going to go there. Interesting. Uh, so I, I would call this, um, this is an evolution of your, uh, of your board. Yes, and this isn't even that I don't like the Super Bowl. I still think it's one of my top drives ever. That actually will end up moving its way to this pedal board. I will eventually build my second one. That is, it's basically when I acquire all the pedals for it, which could be whenever. That's that's a you know, it's, that's it's an a whenever project. It's not urgent at all. So it, it's kind of almost redundant on not redundant. It's kind of dependent on what's happening with my main board. Because mm-hmm. as I've as I've seen, some things are moving and not some things are not going exactly as planned. Because I my main board is going to be obviously my favorite pedals are going to be on there. Yeah, yeah. There's always room on the uh, there's always room on the second board, and not even necessarily my favorite pedals, but the pedals that are since it's my main board, the pedals that are functionally going to work for me and, and uh, my uses for it the best. Yes, the most the most utility. Is is a um, it's a utilitarian board because <laughs> I need it for live stuff and I also need it to do everything for anything I'm going to do in the studio. So that's the purpose of it. All right, we've covered a lot of um, various thoughts that you should have on um, as you think about and you build and you grow and you evolve your pedal board. Um, but we can't touch everything and we don't really know, you know everybody's problems. So... We'd really like the opportunity to hear from uh, our listeners what uh, struggles they're going through uh, with building their pedal board, what choices they're trying to make and they can't decide between something, um, or even what problems you might be having. Um, less on the former, more on the latter, please. <laughs> but um, yeah. we'd love to hear that. So uh, drop us a comment wherever you find us. And uh, failing that, just email us. 
uh, email at pedalsniffers.com. Um, but wherever you might find us, drop us a message. And we're interested to hear what you might need help with. We are on Facebook. Um, we are on Instagram. Um, we're actually also on YouTube. I think eventually we will, depending on how this whole pedals different things go, we do want to eventually probably do a video podcast of some sort. And that's where you're going to be able to find that. Even still so, we do have our audio on YouTube if for any reason you do want that. But um, we're now on Spotify as well for those of you who prefer Spotify over iTunes. So we, we're pretty much everywhere. So let us know. Drop us a line. Um, until then, uh, this was episode six that we're calling pedal boarding, which I really like that term now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that pretty often. Professional pedal boarder. Pedal boarding. Boarding border. Yeah, no, I like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conjugate that later. <laughs> um, so until then, uh, I'm Tony. I'm David. And we are the Pedal Sniffers. That was a perfect